hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Seven Hills Podcast. I'm Greg Gould, your host. And with me today is Joe Fondacaro, the owner and principal of Seven Hills Capital Advisors. Joe, as we get going here, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. And Happy New Year to all the listeners out there. Thanks for joining us again. Good to be back and getting things kicked off for the new year. In today's episode, let's take a look forward. What's in store for 2024? What's happening with the economy and the capital markets as we get things rolling for the new year? We did kind of a wrap up of 2023 and what things were coming to a close with the year end. We've got a brand new year getting started. Let's take a positive look forward. How about if we just start with a a summary of starting positions as the year begins? Yeah. And 2023, despite all the uncertainty that we headed into the year with, this year really delivered the goods. With a few exceptions, of course, most of the capital markets were positive last year, if not pretty robustly so. Looking at some of the numbers here, As we record this, it's last week of December, so the final numbers aren't there. But heading into the last week of December, the Standard & Poor's 500 is up 22%. The NASDAQ index is up 40-plus percent. That's a very tech-heavy index. So a lot of your major tech companies, software, semiconductors are listed on the NASDAQ. So stellar returns there. And then a big story for this year was the bond market. So the bond index or the S&P 500 for bonds, so to speak, is up 5% on the year. That's after two losing years. And the bond market has never lost three years in a row. 2022 was the worst year for bonds in history. So recovery in bonds was really on everyone's mind. When is the bond market going to recover? It's a conservative asset that a lot of people need, especially retirees and people that want income and safety. So with interest rates presumably peaking, maybe even falling here in 2024, the bond market might be telling us that, yes, finally, the worst is over. Some returns are starting to happen and might be a good place to look at for 2024. Also, overseas stocks, European stocks were up 13%. Asian stocks were mixed. China itself was down quite a bit, but other areas of Asia, notably India and Japan, were up into the double digits. So, Take out a few exceptions, China and some other areas, the stock markets and a good chunk of the bond markets did well for us in 2023. So setting us up hopefully for a good 2024. You know, I've been reading and hearing a lot lately. A lot of the pundits are actually going, man, the Fed may pull this off. Right. And uh, we may actually be coming in for a soft landing here. Yes. So what do you think? Things looking good there? It does look good. And One of the interesting pieces that came across my desk was a commentary about recession and are we in one? Did we have one? By the definition, if a recession is two consecutive quarters of declining GDP growth, we've already had one. But whoever's in charge of planting the flag and officially announcing we're in a recession, that person has never appeared But by every definition, we had a recession this year, just like we did in 2020, but nobody wanted to say we're in a recession there either. So I think that proves a couple things. First of all, don't trust the financial media because they may not even know what the story is, depending on their sources. And number two, and I've always maintained this, Greg, that for some reason, we've been conditioned to fear a recession like we're fearing a tornado or something. 
if the economy runs on seasons, recession is the winter. And some winters are worse than others. Some of them are shorter than others. But you always get through it. But we've been really conditioned that recession is something to be feared. And under no circumstances should we ever let our economy fall into a recession, especially if you're on the government or the legislative side. So if we, in fact, have been in a recession in 2020 and then again this year, by definition, and we were, not so bad. Well, I think particularly compared to some of the the recessions I can remember growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s, mm-hmm. some of those recessions were rather grim. A lot of job loss, a lot of layoffs, just seemed way worse. It was painful. Way worse than it's been over the last year, 18 months or so. I agree. I agree. I do think that speaks to one thing that the U.S. economy is probably a little more resilient than we would give it credit. Not to say that there isn't some pain involved and people don't experience it. I think the inflationary aspect of our economy now has certainly hurt people. And studies are showing that the lower income demographics in this country have felt more pain with this inflationary period than anyone else naturally. But again, the U.S. economy being a little more resilient than we give it credit, we can handle a recession because our economic cycles more consistent than a lot of other countries. The economy at the macro level might be a little bit more resilient. I'm way more concerned about my individual micro level um, <laughs> you know, existence here. For sure. So, so what do you see happening in 2024? Where can we go and how can I ensure some of that resilience in my own portfolio? Right. So the playbook for economic stability for anyone, whether it's an individual or a company or whatnot, I think number one is liquidity. Liquidity is king. So if you do see job loss, downsizing, liquidity can tide you over until your income can improve or re-employment or wages go back up, things like that. It's not easy to build up a storehouse of liquidity, but making that a priority is really key to making sure that your own economic picture is stable. The second one goes right along with it. And it's a no-brainer. It's having a handle on your debt. And you know the dangers of too much debt, we don't even need to go into. But especially when interest rates start rising, any variable rate debt that you have, credit cards, home equity loans, home equity lines of credit, so on and so forth, really need to be careful there. It can be tough to say, well, I have enough liquidity, but also my debt is starting to cost me more. Should I sacrifice some liquidity to pay the debt down? Important to put some serious consideration in that because you don't want your debt to spiral out of control. So liquidity cushion, making sure that your variable rate debt or your overall debt service, what you pay towards your debt is remains manageable with a margin of safety. And then I think it's living below your means. Some of the basic things, people tend to live above their means in good times, and then they have to cut back. It's really hard to change midstream, as we all know. So all those things will really tide you through if you can, if you can maintain them throughout all the economic cycles you might run through. So Joe, this might be a little bit too elementary of a question, but when you mention liquidity and debt, the debt part, I get talk about don't live beyond your means. Right. right? Don't get in over your head. Sure. I get that. But when you talk about liquidity, what are some examples of maintaining liquidity and 
how do I position myself to make sure that I have adequate liquidity? Right. Yeah. So, you know, liquidity drives so much of the growth in an economy and it can drive the growth in your economy too. You know, we say liquidity drives the markets and that's probably why we've seen such a terrific growth in the economy from the depths of the global financial crisis in 2008, because we've had a tidal wave of liquidity hitting the markets, low interest rates, the availability of credit for the last 12, 15 years. But getting back to your question, liquidity for a business, for an individual, cash on hand. doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a stack of money sitting in the bank collecting dust, but it's money that's there. Can you access that capital in a very short period of time if you need it? I think it also means when you look at your portfolio that not all of your investments are tied up in things that are hard to access. Time-bound. Time-bound sort of thing, especially, and I'm speaking specifically about 401k and qualified plans. For most of us, our biggest invested asset is a 401k plan. It's receiving a lot of principal. It's growing. You get to your 50s and 60s. It's your biggest invested asset. But it's not right there if you need it in a pinch. You can borrow from a 401k. Really, really hate doing that. So making sure that you have a portfolio of assets, however small, outside of your retirement plans where you can get at it, where the taxation on that is pretty gentle. You might pay some capital gains taxes if you have to sell a stock you like, but still you can get at it. So I think that's what we mean by, are there assets in your portfolio that are accessible, especially without severe taxation or penalty, if you have to get at it? What do you think about some of the specific sectors that we have to Uh invest in and what's looking good? Yeah. If you had a pile of cash, where would you be what do you where do? would you be putting it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So turning again to bonds on the conservative side, we kind of talked about it a little bit already. If the tightening cycle by the Fed, which is a fancy way of saying raising interest rates, if the tightening cycle is a baseball game, we might be in the bottom of the eighth or the ninth inning. Certainly a lot of the market signals and where the capital is flowing from institutions is telling us that it's not a bad time to start looking at bonds again. I think you can certainly buy your more short-term bonds. That'll protect you if there are more rate hikes. You won't see a slip in value as much with short-term. And we have an inverted yield curve, which describes the yields on bonds based on their maturity dates. And an inverted yield curve means that shorter-term bonds yield more. So we love that because they're more conservative, they're less volatile, and they're actually yielding more. With a normal yield curve, the longer the bond, the more yield, the more volatile, and that's normal, right? right? But when it's inverted, it gives you a special opportunity to invest, in fact, in the most conservative area that may drive some of the best return. So I think giving some consideration to fixed income is a good idea for a lot of investors that are sitting on a lot of cash that don't want to go too far out the risk scale. So maybe give it some thought, especially if you hold money market assets. And right now there's 6 trillion plus in money markets in the United States. So there is just a ton of cash sitting on the sidelines looking to buy risk assets, stock or bond. And again, that liquidity will drive the market. So when it starts flowing into bonds or stocks, you're looking for gains there. So when your money market yields start to go down as interest rates start to fall, that's the time to say, okay, am I better off switching to 
a bond or something else that has a higher interest rate where there's more total return potential involved there. So Mm -hmm. that's on the conservative side. As far as stocks, what we all want to talk about after this fantastic year of double-digit returns, and especially if you are technology-centric, a lot of themes out there. AI has just been every day. That's all you hear about AI. Um, Certainly, it's a a fabulous dynamic that is going to take years to firm up. We'll see who the winners are there. There's going to be money to be made investing in AI firms and things like that. It'll have fits and starts, bumps in the road as always, right? But I think if we're looking at themes for this coming year, one of the themes that keeps repeating itself over and over, and again, it's mainly centered on technology, is this notion of the winner-take-all dynamic. And that is a newer one, really, that we haven't experienced that much in our markets or in our lifetimes uh, up until the last, say, 15 years or so. The notion of winner-take-all, which which says that a company has created such a dominant position in their industry and such a barrier to entry that the competition has gone away, where the potential competition says it's simply impossible to compete with this firm in a given industry or sector or something like that. And technology, these big tech firms have actually done it. So no one's going to try to start the next great smartphone network. So this winner-take-all dynamic is firmly entrenched in technology. And so when people say, do I invest in the big technology stocks next year? Are they going to win again next year? I'm not that worried about next year. If they continue to win, and as long as they keep this barrier to entry firmly in place, the risks there have really come way down. And you'll go through your ups and downs, but winner take all, it is firmly in place. It seems like a number of those companies have cornered the market on the necessary infrastructure Absolutely. that the rest of us need and have become dependent upon. And, Absolutely. And we can't exist any longer without the technology that those companies are providing and have got us hooked on. Absolutely. Most of us are using Amazon and Google way more than we would possibly ever imagine. So they have yeah. such a dominant position in running just the infrastructure of technology that you're using without you even knowing it. So to your point there, they are firmly entrenched and it's not going away. Yeah. What are some examples of those companies? One that comes to mind is we're all using Google, you know, right. a million times a day. Right. But what are some other examples? I think the one that stands out to me almost more than any is Microsoft. Microsoft has created a suite of products for both the individual and enterprise, which is a way of saying business, that most of us have just decided that we can't live without, or it's just part of our own ecosystem. A perfect example is the Microsoft Windows operating system. There are 1.3 billion computers using the Windows operating systems around the world. And if you're used to it, just like, I don't know about you, Greg, but I've been using Windows for I don't know how long now. I'm not changing. And if there's another option out there, I really don't know what it is, right? Yep. So it's Windows operating system. But Microsoft, with their entrenched position in operating systems, what they've done in cloud and enterprise has been spectacular. 
They bought LinkedIn. So they have this business centric social network that's not going away. You know, you don't hear criticisms of privacy and manipulation with LinkedIn. It's the boring business side of things, but they own that. They're getting into gaming. So very shrewd execution with Microsoft in finding these segments of technology that that we simply can't live without, or they're the utilities. You know, we're just going to keep using them, using them. We're not going to decide not to use them. Apple is a funny example because you can pick other smartphones. There's other phones you can use. And, you know, if you pick one and you get used to it, you don't switch. They're sticky. So if you're a Samsung person, you're going to stick with Samsung. If you're an Apple person, iPhone person, you'll stick with that. But Warren Buffett himself put it very succinctly when he said, if you give a man a choice to give up his second automobile or his phone, he'll always pick the second car. He'll say, my family can figure out a way to go without a second car, but the phone's absolutely not. So Apple has done a terrific job in making it sticky. So you won't ever want to change. So there's another winner take all there. And when Samsung had some problems years ago with their batteries catching fire, Apple saw an opening and they jumped in it. And so they, so a two horse race became a one horse race right then. So those are two biggest ones. A third one, we talk about Amazon all the time, Amazon with obviously the retail side, but Amazon web services and technology and cloud, Amazon web services, they are responsible for 50% of Amazon's earnings. So that's the profitable side of the company. And I just read something not long ago that said that 50% of all product searches are now happening on the Amazon website. So you don't just open up a browser tab and say, oh, I'm searching for a box of golf balls, for instance. People are going to Amazon first and then searching. So now Amazon has a traffic of search that they can monetize there. It's become a reference library. It's it's the reference library, right. Even if I'm buying something in a store, I check Amazon while I'm at the checkout register saying, am I getting a good price here? Oh, okay. All right. I know now with it about to approach Christmas here is I was looking for gifts and not quite sure what to get somebody. I'd search Amazon, Amazon. And, and find out, oh, what's available in this space for this no kind kidding. of thing. Right. I didn't even really know what I want, but I'd go search Amazon for it. You start there, yeah. right, to get the ideas. So no doubt about it. So I think for us investors, you know, the winner take all, it it is technology-based. It doesn't have to be just those big four technology stocks, the Google, Meta, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. It doesn't have to be those, well, five, I guess I just mentioned, but it doesn't have to be just those big firms. There can be some really small niche firms that have dominated a space that you can exploit and invest in. So I think if we look at a theme for 2024, it's sure it's AI, it might be the rebound in some Asian stocks or the recovery of China. There's some themes there, but I think if I'm an investor, I'm looking specifically at where is the winner-take-all dynamic playing out? Even if it's a small niche, that's going to pay me very handsomely in terms of return. And some of the risks have really started to, to come out too. So I think I'd focus on that. Sounds like good advice. In a major way. Yeah. Any advice you can give your clients or individual investors, mm-hmm. you know, particularly around those particular tech stocks or maybe some others? And- sure. I think two things. One of the things about this tech dynamic is that waiting for a new company to emerge into that space is really hard because the barriers to entry are so high. So 
it continues to be a high quality winner take all. It doesn't have to be small speculative venture capital firm get in really early. You can get really good returns from just the biggest firms if you buy them at reasonable prices. So anytime one of those firms has a reasonable pricing on the stock, it doesn't have to be dirt cheap. You're going to do well. I think the other thing too, after these last five years of all the ups and downs is to put some of your underperforming stocks on a short leash, pull the weeds and water the flowers, as Warren Buffett says. You know, we like to sell off the gainers and lock in our wins and reinvest cheaply, but honestly, a good company is just going to keep winning. So maybe some stocks or some funds you own that have just underperformed over the last five years, it may be time to show them the door and uh, buy high quality because it, it's, it keeps showing that it will compensate you well. So there's, there's some thoughts heading into 2024. That's excellent. Joe, thanks so much for sharing your insights Thank with you. us today as we head off into 2024. Looking forward to the new year. Everyone, thanks for joining us on this edition of the Seven Hills Podcast. For more information or to subscribe, visit Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast feed. For more information about our firm, please visit sevenhillscapitaladvisors.com. And everyone, have a happy new year. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Seven Hills Podcast. For more information or to subscribe, visit Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast feed. For more information about our firm, please visit sevenhillscapitaladvisors.com. This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for every investor and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security.